right at the phone. Good morning, and welcome to the November Revenue Bond Oversight Committee meeting. Thank you for joining us today, and uh, we'll uh, get started. Turn it over to the clerk. First order of business is roll call. Uh, Chair Leal. Present. Leal, present. Member Camp. Present. Camp, present. Member Boothie. Present. Boothie, present. Member Tang. Present. Tang, present. Member Holliber. Present. Holliber, present. Mr. Chair, we have all members present. Uh, thank you, Mr. Clerk, and um, uh, please pull up the next agenda item. The next agenda item is general public comment. This is an opportunity for members of the public who have comments of a general nature for matters that are not on today's agenda but are within the subject matter jurisdiction of ARBOC. If you are connected remotely and you have general public comment, please raise your hand to indicate a preference to speak at this time, or do we have anyone physically in the room with us now who has general public Mr. Chair, it appears we have no speakers for general public comment today. Thank you, Mr. Clerk. Uh, public comment is now closed. Please call the next agenda item. The next item is an audit update. Members of ARBOC shall discuss the status of ongoing audits. This is a discussion and possible action item, and we'll be taking public comment as part of the discussion. Uh, thank you, Mr. Clerk. So this is an audit from the audit team on the ongoing uh, audit number three <laughs> for uh, for reference, uh, so this is not the audit that was concluded, but it's the audit that they just started a few months back. So with that, I'll turn it over to the audit team. Hey, members of the committee, um, thank you. Good morning. Uh, Hunter Wong with CSA Audits to present a quick update on the uh, phase three audit, and then I can also turn it over to our uh, partners at HKA if there's anything else that they want to add. Um, really just a short verbal update. Um, we just had the entrance conference a few weeks ago with our partners at SFPUC, uh, went over very well, uh, got a lot of clarity and hoping that this phase will move through um, relatively smoothly. We've also made sure to start scheduling um, a just a weekly check-in with our main PUC contact, and so we'll be able to use that space to also work anything, any issues out if um, you know any logistics issues or anything like that come up, we'll be able to use that weekly space. Um, we have sent forward a info request, uh, added some clarifications to it. So we've sent that over to PUC, I believe, um, or we'll be sending it out very soon. And then we should start getting some of that information back and we'll be able to start doing our, um, we'll be able to start jumping into our field work. Um, team, anything, anything that I'm missing or anything else that you that you want to add, HK or Yano? First part that you mentioned, we held the entrance conference, and we've also had our initial um, consult with our liaison. So we are underway. Yep. Um, sounds like that's it on our end. So uh, free to answer any questions from the committee. Uh, thank you for the update. Um, does the committee have any questions, any comment on audit number three? Thank you. Uh, or PUC, perhaps? No? Okay. So no comments and no questions on item on the ongoing audit. That is item number three. So uh, we're ready for public comments. Thank you. Do we have anyone here in the Tuolumne room who has public comment on agenda item number three? It appears that we have none. 
If you are connected remotely and you wish to speak on agenda item number three, this being the audit update, please raise your hand at this time. I'll delay for a moment to see if we have any guests who want to speak on this item. And Mr. Chair, it appears we have no speakers. Thank you, Mr. Clerk. Uh, public comment is now closed. And please call up the next agenda item. I will note for the record that RBOC is taking no action on this item right now. We'll move on to agenda item number four, which is planning for future audits. Members of RBOC will discuss planning for future audits to evaluate the performance of projects funded by revenue bonds. It is a discussion and possible action item, and we'll be taking public comments as part of the discussion. Thank you, Mr. Clerk. Um, I'd like to turn it over to Member uh, Tang and Member Ruthie for an update on this item. Um, so according to the CSA, the, RF, the draft of RFP is still with city attorney for review, um, and they do expect um, the updated um, RFP with city attorney's edits to um, be turned back to the CSA later this week. So the next step will be, you know, hopefully the committee will receive the um, updated RFP for consideration of approval for the final um, um, format um, at the next RBOC meeting, and then the RFP will be ready for distribution. Uh, thank you for that. Um, do you have a sense of timing for that? Um, according to Hunter, so Hunter, please feel free to um, chime in. So according to the update from Hunter, so CSA expects to hear back from the city attorney by tomorrow. So that means we can, we might be able to, um, our board might be able to consider the final approval at the next RBOC meeting. Thank you. And, and the city attorney, is that DCA uh, Blake and Ortega working in it? No, or? I don't think so. I think it's a different group. Thank you. Uh, um, so when this this document will return, will that be expected to be the final document to be posted, or is still subject to review? It will be subject to our box review. So when we receive the document, it should include city attorney's edit. So any suggested changes to the to the document for our box to consider for adopting, including these um, um, edits into our final format. So if we are okay, so if we have any any questions, there might be back and forth to have city attorney to explain us why they want to change this way, right? But if we if we are okay with the changes they're suggesting, then we can just go ahead and um, accept it and um, distribute RSP. Am I correct, Hunter? That's correct, uh, Member Tang. I, that's consistent with our understanding. Well, thank, thank you for that. Uh, does the committee have any 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 thoughts, any any questions on this agenda item? Uh, any any thoughts or questions from PUC? No. All right. Great. Sorry, just on the timing for the steps after that, assuming whenever we do approve it for distribution. I'm sorry, I've asked this question before, but I don't remember the answer. What, what's the process for distribution? Does CSA run that? Is there a kind of pool of likely contractors that we've worked with before? Can we help distribute it? Like, how does that work? And, and then how long is it posted before we accept um, submissions? 
Yeah, member Booty, I can I can take a, a a shot at answering that. Um, so normally our so our our contracting person Winnie Wu has been the one uh, managing this RFP. Uh, unfortunately, she's out on extended leave for a little while, so I'll be I'll be handling it while she's gone. Um, my understanding is that we will that controller will handle um, the RFP process itself, so actually getting it out to the um, the bidding community. Um, I can get you an update on the timing. So once Arbok approves that RFP and we get it posted, I can give you an update on our estimate for what that looks like for once it gets posted to essentially awarding the RFP. I can get you an update for that afterwards. I believe it will be uh, several months still. Okay, thanks. Thank you. Uh, any other questions or comments on this agenda item? No, then with that, we are ready for public comment. Very good, Mr. Chair. Do we have anyone with us here in the Tuolumne Room who has public comments on agenda item number four? It appears that we have none. If you are connected remotely and you wish to speak on agenda item number four, please raise your hand inside the system and that will indicate your preference to speak. I'll delay for a moment to see if we have any speakers on the line. And Mr. Chair, it appears that we have no public comment for this item. Thank you, Mr. Clerk. Public comment is now closed. Uh, please uh, call the next agenda item. Just to note for the record that ARBOC is not taking any action on the planning for future audits item, but we can expect that it will be agendized again in the future. Agenda item number five is bonds issuance update. Members of ARBOC shall receive a presentation from the SFPUC Capital Finance staff on the series 2023 A and B water enterprise water revenue bonds and series 2023 and 2023 series of power enterprise water revenue bonds. This is a discussion item and we will take public comments as part of the discussion. Uh, thank you, Mr. Clerk. I would like to welcome the capital finance team uh, this morning. They've been very busy with a lot of issues this, this, uh, this year, a lot of great work. So really looking forward to your presentation. Welcome. Great. Thank you very much, uh, Chair Liao. Uh, Nikolai Sklaro, capital finance director. And we have a quick presentation for you. Um, some of what you're going to see uh, this morning will also be presented to the commission uh, this afternoon um, at the commission meeting. Uh, the commission has already received its update for the water enterprise uh, bonds, and uh, but they will receive the update for the power enterprise bonds. Hopefully all of you have been receiving the email updates that more thoroughly describe each of the, the transactions that are distributed, not only to, to members of the committee, but also um, to staff and, and uh, partners throughout the city. Um, but I'll try to keep this uh, brief. And if I can advance my slides, there we go. Um, so first let me uh, talk briefly about the water revenue bonds. There are actually two aspects to the water revenue bonds uh, we've had planned uh, since the beginning of the year. As you know, at the beginning of each year, we do a capital financing plan of the transactions that are expected for that year. That is based on the 10-year plan that is adopted by the commission the prior February. And so we had anticipated that we would have uh, new money water revenue bonds when I refer to new money, um, what I'm referring to specifically is we initially finance our projects with interim financing, namely commercial paper, 
and then take that out. But from from your perspective, those are new expenditures, new bond expenditures. Um, in conjunction with this transaction, um, we also decided to do a refinancing. You may know that in uh, early 2002, uh, before I uh, joined the PUC, the commission and the team had been working on a very large refinancing uh, for the water on the pipe. Unfortunately, it just happened that the, that's when rates went up, that refinancing was not able to occur, another refinancing for wastewater did occur. Um, but uh, in conjunction with this transaction, we were able to deliver uh, substantial uh, savings. I won't spend a lot of time talking about the, the refinancing uh, this morning and focus on, on the new money, but I just wanted to make you aware that there were two transactions, two official statements, um, but A and B are the new money, C and D are the refinancing. It was an unusual transaction with a tender uh, refinancing, so we identified 1.6 uh, billion of potential candidates. Um, and to make a long story short, because of the rapid increase in interest rates, the value of bonds goes down. Um, and, and I think the, the general public has now become a, more aware of this phenomenon due to what happened with Silicon Valley Bank. They had high quality bonds, they needed to sell them, and they sold them for much less than, um, than the face value. Our investors um, certainly can't, could have held on to these bonds for as long as they um, like until maturity and would have received their full principal back and interest. But um, for, for various reasons, investors choose to sell bonds. Maybe that they want to send the child to college or buy a yacht or whatever it is, um, or they may find that there are better investments in the marketplace that they, they choose to move their assets to. And um, by offering them slightly above what the market was offering, um, we were able to buy back those bonds. So, for example, bonds that were being um, traded at 86 cents on the dollar, we could offer 87 cents on the dollar. It's a win for the investor, but it's particularly a win for us because we then uh, take out the dollar of debt and replace it with um, a new debt. So that, that's the other uh, part of the transaction. But the, the most important part for you is this A and B new money. Can I ask a question? Um, so these are non-callable bonds. So even though they're non-callable, we're able to essentially retire them by, by offering them a little more. Yeah, so what was very interesting th that the this is not a transaction that is normal in the marketplace. It's, it's very specific to market conditions, and, and people who've had experience with them have been in the market for a while because <laughs> we've gone through an extended period of, 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 of 
very low interest rates and declining interest rates. Um, we were fortunate that we had both candidates that were taxable, so we were able to um, not only convert taxable bonds, these you may recall because yeah. of uh, the prior administration's um, uh, repeal of tax-exempt advance refundings, we, the TUC and many issuers did a large amount of taxable refunding, um, but those are costs that were otherwise eligible for tax-exempt. So with this transaction, we converted them back to tax-exempt financing. So, so we had the advantage of um, uh, buying the bonds at a discount. We converted taxable bonds to yeah. tax-exempt. We, as you know, um, tax-exempt bonds have a lot of optionality um, for refinancing. Typically, we sell the bonds at a 5% coupon, and because of that, uh, those bonds are typically refinanced um, as long as rates have not gone up or if they do in fact go down. Um, so there were many advantages in this, not the least of which is uh, we achieved $85 million of net present value savings. Yeah, that, that, that's, that's very impressive. And um, what was the maturity left in these bonds when we are refunded? So the, the key with the tender is that we don't get to choose which bonds are actually tendered. It's all up to the investor. We provide the economic incentive for them to tender, but it's their choice. And so for, for of the, the 1.6 uh, billion, we'd, we had gone into the process with the assumption that maybe we'd achieve 30%. Different issuers have achieved different levels, some as low as 5% of, of uh, eligible bonds actually tendered. But we achieved about 40%. So we achieved more um, savings than we had anticipated. And um, and so we're very pleased to be able to deliver savings even as we were issuing new debt. And so, so the term could have been two years, seven years, 30 years, just a combination. So it's little pieces of, here, here. of a billion six of bonds. So, um, so 40% standard, that's a big number. Yeah. And, and as you look at each, each piece, you know, different different maturities based on who was holding them, um, uh, had a lot of participation, others had little participation. Uh, certain institutional buyers are, are um, active participants in tenders, others don't participate in tenders. So uh, the transaction was approved. Um, both transactions were approved uh, June 27th at the commission meeting, um, and we had uh, confirmed uh, the ratings of both Moody's and S&P. Um, we're particularly pleased that uh, both rating agencies maintain the stable outlook for um, the enterprise. In fact, all three of our enterprises have maintained their stable outlooks, notwithstanding um, changes in the outlook for the general um, uh, city credit. Um, advancing to the next slide, um, 
know, it's it's interesting talking about refinancing bonds in in the kind of interest rate environment we're in. And I can't emphasize enough how unusual this marketplace is. I was uh, joking with the newest member of our our team that his his uh, his entire uh, public finance uh, career now has been in this highly unusual inverted yield curve. Um, but this is very unusual. Um, as there's a lot of information shown in this uh, chart, but again, as we've explained before, when we are issuing a 30-year bond, we are conceptually issuing up to 30 individual bonds, each with their individual rate. Um, uh, typically, we have fewer maturities than that. We do capitalize interest for a few years, um, and we may have term bonds that combine maturities at the long end of the yield curve. But, but conceptually, we could have up to 30 different interest rates that we're setting when we're pricing uh, the bonds. And, and that depiction is uh, uh, commonly referred to as a yield curve. Um, the yellow dashed line is the average yield curve um, for highly rated municipal bonds, AAA municipal rated bonds over the last uh, 10 years. And you can see it's a, an upward slope. You, as you might expect, um, a two-year bond has a slightly higher rate than a one-year bond and, and so forth all the way out. And that's what creates this uh, uh, upward slope. Um, the black line is where we were immediately before our bond sale, um, which is, again, the inverted yield curve, where short-term rates are significantly higher than any of the other rates. Um, and this is, again, highly <coughs> unusual when it occurs. It's typically a short-term uh, phenomenon. Um, I'm not aware that we've ever had a period where it's, it's been as enduring as it's been during um, this current market condition. Um, but that is that um, has impacted the way we structure our bonds. The, the blue bars show you where interest rates have been for each maturity over the past year, so the range. Um, so you can see the short, the shortest rates are near the very top uh, of that range, the middle of the curve, the belly of the curve uh, normally um, is, is, was lower and, and longer rates were sort of in the middle. And then the green and the red lines simply uh, show you what the, the range has been over the last 30 years. Can I ask a question about the blue bars? So that includes a combination of shifts in interest rates within the year as well as issuer specific. Uh, all, of, all of these are generic AAA. Oh, just AAA. Yes. Yeah. But still, there is probably some variance. Yeah. Yes. So that was the market conditions we were in. Uh, when we did sell the bonds in July, uh, we achieved a 410 uh, uh, true interest cost. Again, the bonds were offered as 
they typically are now in, in, in the current market uh, with 5% coupons. And so, um, but, but the yield on each maturity is based on the market yield. So if, if a bond is offered with a 5% coupon and a 1% yield, the investor is paying a premium. They're paying us to to um, to buy that bond. Uh, and as you can see, um, we uh, because of that premium, we achieved 471 million of proceeds on a par amount of 414 million. And these bonds mature in 2052. Uh, they are separated in Series A and Series B, um, $398 million for regional and local water projects, and then the $73 million for Hetch Hetchy um, in Series B. Um, because of the, the two parts of this transaction, you see we had drawn $373 million of commercial paper. All of that was refinanced. So even today, we don't have any commercial paper outstanding for the water enterprise. Um, but in terms of the water uh, bonds, although we originally set out to borrow $450 million of uh, uh, debt, you can see we only increased the overall amount by 310, giving, giving, given the two transaction components. So that's our uh, water transaction. This uh, simply shows uh, the net impact of this, the refunding and uh, the new money debt layered on top with the, um, the gold color there representing the new money debt service. <clears throat> and then I think of interest to this committee Based on our 10-year plan, our next water bonds are anticipated in fiscal year 25, 27, 32. Um, although, of course, as you know, each February this is updated and is subject to revision. So that concludes the, the water bonds. Now, unless there are questions, I'll move on to the power bonds. I have a quick question. Sure. Just to summarize. So we have a great rating, which allows us to raise the money. We, the, the, the rating agencies give us a solid rating, like AA2, whatever it is, right? Mm -hmm. So, um, which means for us that even interest rates are high, we get pretty favorable interest rates, like it was four point something, right? So, so downside is high interest rates, but the flip side of that equation is that our old bonds are now being sold below par, right? And um, that allowed us to purchase our own debt and at a lower cost than par, essentially pocketing money, right? Or, you know, refinancing it in a way that... Uh, lowers the, the yeah, cost. Yeah. Lowers the cost, right? Okay, so... And that, you know, I think um, the, the PUC has historically and continues to enjoy a good reputation in the marketplace um, with very strong ratings. Um, each of our enterprise has different characteristics. Uh, you know, our 
water enterprise, for example, has issued many bonds in the past. Our power enterprise has issued relatively few bonds. So our power uh, enterprise also benefits from scarcity uh, value uh, for investors who are looking to uh, diversify their investments. So there, there are many factors that go into the, the actual pricing of the bonds, um, the, the average life, the, the rating, um, supply and demand factors on at the time of a sale, and then, of course, the Fed and, and global and, and what about the city's theoretical ability to just raise prices? Is that something the agencies look at when they give us our rating? The, the rate setting yeah. is, a, is a key uh, uh, determinant of our strong ratings. It's right. In, in fact, um, I, I, would, I would say it's, it's one of the driving factors of our ratings is the, the perceived wealth of our tax base. I mean, we, we all know that there there's a variety of <coughs> incomes across the, the tax base, but the general um, wealthy uh, tax base and and the um, flexibility to uh, manage rates are all key key parts. It's, and it's not just the ability, but particularly the willingness to. Notwithstanding 
what's happening in the economy, um, those, uh, those ratings were confirmed. So you'll notice that this chart, don't usually show two, two market graphs in the same presentation, but these bonds were sold at different times. And you'll see uh, by, the, by the fall, market conditions had evolved uh, quite a bit. Um, and rates have risen, um, continue to rise uh, to the top of that 10-year uh, level, still an inverted yield curve. Um, and you know, while there are adjustments that we can and do make in terms of short-term timing, um, our, our capital program is a bit like an aircraft carrier. We continuously have debt, um, and we're, we're, we're in the market. And what's most important is that we're able to keep, keep that capital flow going so that those projects uh, can, uh, can continue and, and not be interrupted. Uh, so these bonds had a slightly higher rate of 456. Again, same phenomenon with the um, premium, 5% coupon bonds, um, uh, resulting in a premium uh, and uh, total proceeds of $131 million. Those bonds close on October 12th, and this is uh, to fund Power Enterprise Capital Projects which had been initially funded with interim financing. Uh, same chart we've showed you for the water, just to give you a sense of um, the impact on the debt. Again, we, we, we've issued relatively few revenue bonds, so it's a, a small transaction in 2015, a larger transaction in 21, but this was only the third issuance of revenue bonds with Power Enterprise. And so you can see uh, the, the impact of a single transaction uh, result in a, a, a more considerable increase in the overall size of the debt program, although it's still a tiny debt program compared to the other two enterprises. And again, no uh, commercial paper outstanding. This, this um, enterprise has relatively simple debt. Uh, in that there's no SRF loans, no WIFIO loans. Um, it's just these three transactions. So the blue is a, the outstanding prior debt service. And as you can see, what we do is we, we layer in uh, the new bond debt service over the next 30 years. We provide a, a, a ramp up period um, to mitigate the impact on the rates. and because two years have passed since the last transaction, you can see that we were able to fill in more principal at the back end of the transaction, which also contributes to that higher uh, true interest cost. Oh, I see. So, so the, 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 the bond documents essentially show a, a principal repayment balloon at the end. Well, For, so th there, there is principal being paid throughout, much like a, like a mortgage yeah. where, where your, your initial uh, 
amortization of principal is small and then grows, and and at the same time your your interest is larger and declines as there's less outstanding debt. But because of the, the outstanding debt, we were able to wrap the debt service, and that lowered the the maximum debt service throughout. So we were able to keep rates lower by wrapping it around the existing debt. And and this is a this is a much more typical debt structure for a municipal issuer and utility. And in another two years, you might expect that we would layer debt and then wrap again. So the right, so it's not a straight line. So this wrap is straight, and then there is lack of a better word, a balloon at the end. Yeah, yeah. Um, the, I apologize. I hope it wasn't something I said. No, it's amazing. In fact, I'm, I, I love the, the presentation. But, uh, apologies. And we'll see you later. So in, in short, um, and I think we may have shown you this chart in the past, uh, which delivers two different messages. Um, one is this shows the volume of, of debt. Uh, I, I want to underscore that from our perspective, issuance is both new money and refinancing. It's, it's how, how much we're, we're going out into the marketplace. We have never um, issued this many bonds in the PUC's history before. Um, in part, that's because we, we were able to do so much refinancing. We did some <coughs> refinancing for the wastewater bonds and very sizable refinancing for the water bonds. What this chart also shows you um, in the, with the darker, um, more solid colors, the more solid green, the more solid uh, blue, and the more solid gold is the green bonds uh, that we've issued. And um, again, this is the most green bonds we've ever issued in our history. Notwithstanding what you might read in the news about green bonds uh, more generally, we remain very committed to that and have issued 4.4 billion of green bonds. And, and is the uh, the, the uh, certification as a green bond still from Sustainalytics like it was in the past? For the um, water and wastewater enterprise, we do uh, climate bonds initiative. Uh, certified bonds with a verification from Sustainalytics. And then we, um, in the past, in 2015 and 2021, have done self-certified for the power enterprise. Uh, we chose, given the changes in the regulatory market uh, in particular, um, not to do self-certification, and we will be doing uh, an RFP to select verification, not only for our power enterprise, but because of the very fundamental changes in in the whole uh, label bond market, uh, reevaluating uh, providers. We're, we're very happy with uh, the CBI and Sustainalytics um, uh, framework that we've been using. Um, uh, I think the market views it as sort of the platinum standard uh, 
versus what others have, have been uh, doing. But we also recognize there are many new uh, players in the marketplace, and it behooves us to, to renew that. that. And, and we will be uh, making an in-depth presentation on green bonds to our commission on uh, November 28th uh, at the request of the commission. It's sort of an adjacent question. Um, will you be impacted at all by the new California laws on climate disclosures? Well, I guess this is more than capital plans. I guess more of a, of a PUC broader question, I guess. Yeah, so there, there, there are a lot of prevailing um, uh, forces in this whole ESG space. Um, I think it's important to understand that for the purposes of a, a an offering document is written with with a specific audience in mind, um, and it's uh, an investor audience. And because of that, um, what we meet, we disclose in an official statement is designed to um, have a materiality. Um, to it. So in our official statements, uh, we don't simply disclose everything we're doing in disclosure uh, in, in, in addressing climate change. Um, and we are, we are evaluating um, other platforms to provide that information that might be of interest to, to the public and others, but it's important to, to note that there, there is a, a specific purpose to the way an official statement is is written, and um, as much as the SEC would not want us to fail to disclose information, simply simply throwing lots of paper at people of immaterial information can be just as, as bad. So it's a we, we work very closely with the city attorney's office and our external uh, disclosure council from ORIC to, to find that, that right balance. Thank you. The last uh, two pages I wanted to quickly show you. This, this is where we, we end up um, with giving all these transactions. In fact, again, we have uh, a billion five of commercial uh, paper capacity, all of it is undrawn. Uh, you see the bonds that we have outstanding, uh, not, not surprisingly given where we are with our water program, the water bond issuance is the largest, uh, wastewater is growing uh, rapidly but is uh, considerably less, um, but that is also matched with a lot of WIFIA capacity that we um, have not yet tapped, and uh, and we have SRF loans as well for both water and wastewater. And then the last thing I wanted to share with you that might be of interest is uh, just understanding what what the issuance of these two new money transactions means in terms of. Uh, RBOC proceeds. We previously provided you with balances as of June 30th, so this would be the additional 
um, capacity for these two uh, transactions post June 30th. And with that, happy to take any further questions. Well, thank you. Uh, you know, the, the uh, revenue bond over technical has been focused on audits and expenditures for the past three years, given the ongoing audits, but it's really, there is a lot of work that is happening on the capital finance side. and. Uh, and your leadership certainly has made a huge difference for the city and for ratepayers overall in terms of uh, uh, providing the right financing at the right pricing and, and especially refunding all debt coming up and advantageous uh, 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 rates. So we'd like to, to really thank you on behalf of my own, but I guess on, on, on our behalf as well for all the work that is done. We don't focus this much in our meeting, but I think it's, uh, it's very valuable and hopefully we'll do more of this uh, in, in, in the future, and certainly do learn a lot. Well, if you'll uh, allow me, there, there, there are um, uh, five important people off camera uh, who I should acknowledge. First, uh, Edward, Dan, and Eric from the capital finance team are, who are the ones who really do the work. <laughs> I, I just get to come and make the presentations. And, uh, and then, of course, our two um, city attorney uh, partners, Mark Blake and uh, Catherine Ortega, who have been uh, very key players in making these transactions happen as well. Well, thank you for doing that. You know, I did, when I joined Arbach, I actually read an offering memorandum for each of the enterprises. I read the whole thing. <laughs> and, and I know that you have to write those over and over again. So I certainly do uh, appreciate a lot of the work that, that you're doing to make this happen. These are amazing outside counsel. <laughs> <laughs> but ultimately, you have to. Okay, right. So, thank yeah, you for and, that. And, and Catherine raises an important point. There's there's a whole team of firms or uh, uh, five municipal advisors who advise us uh, who are under contract. We have many investment banking firms that have been involved in each of these transactions, and then of course uh, the attorneys, the bond council, and the disclosure council. Absolutely, but that doesn't necessarily make it very easy. Out of personal experience, I was involved in the preparation of documents for an IPO for a company, and I remember with all this outside counsel spending two hours discussing one word. <laughs> two hours. So it, it does happen. But, but thank you for this work. And I think it, your last slide brings up an important topic for our box to consider, and this is something that. Uh, Lysgarov and I had an opportunity to chat about with all the issuance of bonds that um, PUC had over the past year, the balance for ARBOC has actually increased substantially. And um, an agenda item that I would like to, to, to add for the next meeting is to really look at that balance and then for ARBOC to decide whether that balance is necessary or whether ARBOC should return to ratepayer part of the balance that is not really needed for uh, for the future. I forgot what the current balance is with the addition, but it's probably close to 1.4, million or so. Historically, given the, all the expenditures that Arbok had, if I remember correctly, the balance that Arbok had was somewhat around a million in general. So this is above that average that Arbok had. So certainly, if Arbok does not need it, it could return to rate payers. Or at least that's, that is, that's a discussion we should have and really see whether the community uh, agrees with that. So uh, two cents a year for <laughs> right there. <laughs> oh, not even that. Probably. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Less. Like that. 
<laughs> the fraction of time. Um, any any comments? Any questions for the capital finance team? Like, More just my curiosity if any of the banks you've worked with you found have developed a specialization in green bond issuance or you found any particular insightful support? Um, well, I think all of the investment banks who work with us understand it's something that's important to our commission and to our team and so uh, focus on that. Um, so but, but, well. but I think one of the things that I would, sorry, I'm just trying to unshare my screen here. Um, uh, but one of the things that I would um, highlight is that uh, as you know better than, than most people, um, the, the the whole ESG movement really originated outside of uh, the United States. Um, our, our European partners are generally regarded as being five to seven years ahead of us in terms of the evolution of uh, labeled bonds. And, um, and the demand for um, labeled bonds is strongest in the international markets. In the international markets, there's a very discernible pricing uh, benefit. Um, and, and so a long-winded way of coming back to your specific question, which is that those firms with a large international presence um, tend to have greater focus on it. Even the, their local teams, but because they have colleagues presumably in Yes. But but increasingly we see um, see ESG and labeled bond experts uh, within uh, firms uh, within public finance departments who who've been interacting with us. Well, are these bonds publicly traded, like some of the past bonds? In uh, were a couple of bonds who were publicly traded on uh, the Bonds Exchange, right? Yeah. Well. Um, all of our all of our bonds can be traded in the uh, municipal market, um, but um, specifically, uh, we have bonds that were listed on the London Stock Exchange, um, and we the the SFPC. Uh, this was before my my joining, so I take no credit for this, but. The SFPC was the first uh, municipal issuer to list on the uh, London Stock Exchange, um, and you know, in in a different environment, we might see more of that. What has happened since then? That happened at at the peak of when we were doing a lot of taxable debt. Taxable debt can appeal. To international investors, now we're doing much more tax exempt debt, and that's a unique um, uh, aspect of investing in the United States. And so our market uh, place for investors has sh shifted a great deal. So it's 
it's not as much of a focus now, but could be if if events change or um, the the taxable market becomes more favorable mm -hmm. relative to tax exempt. Thank you. Um, anything else on, on this agenda item? Well, thank you again. Uh, this was very informative and very helpful. And also would like to, to, to thank you and the, and the team for the emails that you send after uh, an offering. Uh, those are very informative as well, very useful. I don't know how big the audience is, but ideally all great payers should be aware of those uh, those emails. If you want to add a, a blurb to the newsletter. <laughs> um, uh, currently, they are they, the audience is with, within the city family, um, including across other departments um, uh, and the like, but uh, point well taken. <laughs> well, thank you. Uh, and we are ready for uh, the comment. Thank you, Mr. Chair. I don't see anyone here in the Tuolumne room who has public comments on this discussion of agenda item number five, but if you are connected remotely and you wish to speak on this agenda item, please raise your hand inside Teams and I will add you to the queue. I'll delay for a moment to see if we have any callers who wish to speak on this item. And Mr. Chair, it appears that we have no speakers on this item. Uh, thank you, Mr. Clerk. Uh, public comment is now closed. Please call the next item. Agenda item number six is remote public access for RBOC meetings. Members of RBOC will consider changes to the remote access procedures for public participation in RBOC meetings. This is a discussion and possible action item. We'll be taking public comment as part of the discussion, Mr. Chair. Uh, thank you, Mr. Clerk. Uh, there has been some changes in the procedures for public participation in seating uh, uh, meetings. Uh, including PUC and, and RBOC. So I'll, I'll turn it over to DCA Ortega to explain to us the latest on this. Hi, everybody. So a number of weeks ago, the mayor made a declaration regarding public participation in all types of meetings for city bodies, including the Board of Supervisors, um, and it was drawn through to the PUC, and as a PUC-related body, um, it affects our box. Uh, you know, remote um, public comment was uh, was facilitated and invited by the COVID pandemic, and prior to that, in-person public comment was the norm. And you know, now we're looking to streamline and to have similar. Um, experiences across the PUC bodies, the PUC itself, our BOC, our Rate Fairness Board, all with in-person public comment going forward. That said, our BOC is its own independent entity, and so if there are reasons to maintain remote public comment, that's something that's open for discussion right now and can be advocated for. Uh, thank you for the, uh, for the update. Um, can you share with us the sense of what other commissions, other boards are doing and what your PUC is doing specifically about this? The PUC is doing remote only, or is doing in-person only going forward. Um, I think this, you know, the larger bodies, Board of Supervisors, 
PUC have quite a few uh, people who come to comment, and so for facilitation of that process, it works well for them to have in person, and it is a very comfortable um, process for them. Yeah, because yeah, that's the language. Um, for our block, it's a little bit different. We have regular commenters who call in, and so there's value to that as well. Um, yeah, it's ideally will be streamlined between PUC and ARBOC, but it does not need to be streamlined. And um, does ARBOC need to make a decision today? Or? No, we could we could um, put this again on the agenda for December. Um, but I think that ARBOC should make a decision by the end of the year. Thank you for that. So, if I understood correctly, PUC and other bodies have decided to go in person only for public participation. Correct. PUC specifically is in person only, and now the decision is up to ARBOC whether to be in person only or remote and in person, I guess, both. Correct. And it is, you know, there's a, there are differences between the types of bodies mm -hmm. as uh, with the larger bodies that have, you know, different decision-making authority. It has been identified by the mayor and others that in-person is the best approach going forward. Um, for the smaller commissions like ARBOC, it may be, there may be continued value to having people call in. Um, but that's really just something for you guys to think about and for something for you know, the participants who call in to mm -hmm. weigh in on. Thank you for that. Um, if I reflect over the past year, uh, participants have been only in person, sorry, remote with the exception of one that joined us on a tour of the uh, Oceanside precinct, which I don't know that. Was always remote, uh, and we had well, we have generally Mr. Philpel who joins us for most meetings, not all but most, and occasionally we had others, yeah, we especially other people that yeah. came at different stages and all came in remotely. Yeah. Um, so that's essentially what happened over the past year. I will say there was a history of prior to COVID, people coming in person, and. ARBOC always meets on the same day that we have commission meetings over at City Hall. And so there has been a um, consistency for people that want to speak to the PUC and speak to ARBOC. Generally, they're the same folks. So if they were going in person to City Hall, they can also come in person to ARBOC. But that's just, you know, that's just history. And they have come to, like, historically, they did come in person before COVID before we cut off to uh, remote. What does the community feel about this? Do you feel that we need to change anything or the current setup is, is that okay? Well, I think this was started because there were several kind of um, Zoom bombers that would come to the Board of Supervisors and made you know, racist comments and that type of thing that had to be cut off. I believe is what spurred this. Um, you know, I guess they haven't found our block yet. <laughs> We're pretty low down the list of, uh, of public meetings. Uh, <laughs> uh, yeah, I, I'm fairly neutral on this. I think you know we have much, very limited 
you know, public participation in terms of people interested in these things. I believe the PUC Commission has a lot more commenters than RBOC has. So if it were, you know, 20, 30 commenters a meeting, I think it might make more sense to have it more streamlined in person only. I'd be okay going to that, um, but I don't have a strong opinion either way. Um, yeah, I understand it's kind of norm for public agency to start shifting back to in-person only, including the boss guys that are my own agency. So there's a reason for that, but I also echo, you know, in the history, we don't have a lot of uh, public participation. And uh, so, um, so then, so if we, if our box decides to stay as it is, well, we still have the opportunity to change the format um, if needed in the future. You could change at any point. Mm -hmm. um, I think from the, you know, from the PUC's perspective, it would be desirable to have consistency, and the, the PUC itself is only going to in-person. Um, again, that said, RBOX is a separate body. It has its own needs, and, you know, own, we get our own, you know, you get your own value from the college, right? So, um, it needs to be an independent decision, but again, RBOC is scheduled, always slated on the same day as a commission meeting, and a lot of these folks are now going to be coming in person to the commission and not calling. Yeah. So, I mean, I feel like, um, you know, based on our, um, our own experience, I don't see a need for us to shift, completely shift back to in person, but if we decide, if the committee decides to, um, Follow the standard practice. I would understand. So, I think that's also my view. I think it's uh, it's been working fairly well for us, and I think it would be a loss to lose our kind of one consistent public commenter. I think not every comment is something I agree with, but I think the, the ability for someone to join, um, you know, clearly spend time and think carefully about what we're doing is valuable. Um, so, to your point, maybe he would. I think he used to come before before COVID. Yeah. I think he used to come in person. Yeah. Or at least but, with some. But regularity. I understand the, the desire to streamline and that the yeah. scheduling should work. Surely, I would, the only thing I would ask is, um, from from our perspective, as you know, the logistics of meeting here. Are probably not ideal even for all of you uh, in terms of accessing uh, the building. And so one one key difference to think about is um, that unlike City Hall, which is where the commission meets, this building is, is not designed as well for, for public access. Um, uh, and the, 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 the the burden of helping to escort people around tends to fall on my my team. Um, so as as you think about this in the future, I'd also um, give thought to where and where logistically is the best place to to meet um, to accommodate public and you know where 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 would 20 people be in in a room like this. Yeah, Miss, thank you for that. I think that that's a, that's a great observation. It's certainly very helpful. 
me I share my perspective. I think public participation is good, and the more the better. Um, here we're talking about billions in our pocket, budget size. You know, certainly Arbonne does not decide how to spend money, but provides an oversight of how um, uh, that is accumulated, as well as how uh, that those proceeds are, are spent. Um, I, I think the logistics are an important one. I, if we start having two or three people, and then I can see how folks need to go and ask for people calling in at different times, and there's a line outside, and it becomes complicated. Um, I think you know, since we can't change again in the future, it might be worth to keep as is and revisit when needed. If you think that that. But, but why change if nothing is broken here? Ultimately, it's entirely your your yeah. decision. I just wanted to make sure we we think about those logistics as we. Well, thank you. I mean, I think it's very important, right? When I mean, if we have to start, you know, bringing people up and down and chasing them to the restroom and whatnot, it just starts to become very complicated here. They already have to deal with us. So. Yeah. <laughs> so, but it, but that being said, it is a public meeting, so anyone yeah. can show up downstairs right. and right. come up here one way or another. We give the option to people to dial in so they don't have to do that. Um, does the committee want to reflect on this and discuss again in December? Or do we feel that we know what we need to know at this stage? I think we're good. Is it? I don't I think, think we have to make a decision. Okay. Should we stay the course until we decide to do different? Do we need a formal motion for this, or no? We need a formal motion. You do need to hear from the public, and I understand that we do have someone who is waiting to give public comments on this item. Oh. Well, that's great. Great. <laughs> <laughs> well, thank you. Please open it up for public comment. Taking note that there is no one here in the Tuolumne room who wishes to provide public comment on this discussion, I do see that we have one caller who is connected remotely. If that caller wants to begin, I will start your time when I hear their voice. Can you hear me now? We can hear you. Please begin. Great. Uh, David Pilpel. Uh, it's been very difficult to hear the audio uh, today and the uh, last uh, couple of meetings, so perhaps that's something we can uh, work on. I certainly believe that remote public access uh, is uh, useful and important. Um, it's been a long time since I've been to an in-person uh, meeting of uh, this body. Um, I do now, um, again, sit on the Sunshine Ordinance Task Force, uh, which sent a pretty strong letter to the Board of Supervisors opposing the discontinuance of remote uh, public comment, which the Board obviously ignored or rejected. I have not seen the Mayor's um, advice or guidance that uh, DCA Ortega uh, referred to. Um, that would be helpful uh, to see. Um, but uh, for all the reasons that um, have been stated, I think you have a limited amount of uh, public participation. I think remote public comment works uh, and can be fine-tuned. Uh, this can be revisited uh, next month or in the future. Um, I would also note, looking at the list of participants, that you've got a number of people that are watching and, and listening that are not in the room, uh, staff and uh, consultants, and if they had to uh, come to the building in the city, some of whom may or may not be actually in the city or across the street, um, that that would uh, provide additional uh, burden. And um, I 
I just don't see the value overall in eliminating uh, remote public comment uh, considering the burdens that it would Im impose at this time. As I said, I think this is something you can continue to uh, monitor. I think the PUC Commission uh, may have chosen to eliminate uh, remote public comment, but I think that was not the right choice, uh, and there may be efforts uh, in the future to require remote public comment um, for all bodies uh, like this, because I think we've now show shown that this is possible. Um, I also, for example, uh, went out yesterday and caught a cold, so my throat is bothering me, and you wouldn't want me in the room today to uh, share germs with all of you. You want my comments, but you don't want my germs, and I'm happy to share my comments, but not my germs, which I'm able to do over the phone and via the computer. So for all those reasons, I would uh, support the motion to continue taking remote public comment and to explore this issue from time to time as circumstances change. Thanks very much for listening. Oh, and keep up the good work. Thank you for sharing your comments. Do we have anyone else connected remotely who wishes to provide public comment on this agenda item at this time? If so, please raise your hand in the system or just uh, begin to address the panel. I'm going to delay for a moment. And Mr. Chair, it appears we have no further callers. Well, thank you for the comment. Uh, that was helpful. And um, public comment is now closed. Uh, thank you for that. So no decision on this topic. We'll continue and play the course until the need for changes. Uh, we are ready now for uh, the next agenda item, please. Good. I will note for the record that ARBOC is taking no action on agenda item number six. We're moving forward. Agenda item number seven is approval of the minutes for the October 10th, 2023 regular meeting of ARBOC. This is a discussion and possible action item. We'll be taking public comments as part of the discussion. Uh, thank you, Mr. Clerk. Um, does the committee have any comments uh, on the on the minutes? No. Uh, I looked through it and it seems that there are a few kind of semicolons that are in there that are not necessary. <laughs> it may be it's not a big deal, but it kind of throws off the you know grammatic of the um, of the minutes. For example. Uh, where was it? Item three, Barella Blackwood, SFPC, semicolon, answers questions, raised throughout the discussion. I think that's, that's a mistake. It's, it's a frustration for me as well. This is a minutes-taking standard that is used throughout the clerk's office, um, and I hate to be on the record kicking against it too much myself, but it is something that I have brought up and brought our standards and style guide in the past. It's used throughout many of our other documents. Um, I'll find another way I can make this change to the to the minutes if you wish. Okay. It just seems like it's inconsistently applied in some places it's there and other places it's not. So. I'll normalize it. It'll be easy. Okay. <laughs> and it's in a few other places, items uh, item seven. As well. Okay, that's all I have. Thank you. Any other comments or edits? Okay. May I have a motion to approve? Let's see if we have public comment first, Mr. Oh. Chair. Thank you. 
No one here in the 12 room appears to have public comments on the form of the minutes. Do we have anyone connected remotely who has comments on the minutes? If so, please raise your hand and then begin speaking, and I'll start your time when I hear your voice. Mr. Chair, I'm not seeing that we have any speakers. We should. Thank you. Public comment is now closed. And uh, I believe we had a motion from Member Holover. Do we have a second? Yes. <laughs> okay. <laughs> With the semicolons removed. <laughs> That's fine. I'll pull the, I'll, I'll, I will make a clerical change to the minutes to reflect the, remo uh, the removal of several semicolons throughout the document. And then on a motion offered by Member Holliber and seconded by Member Boothy, we'll adopt those minutes on that motion. Member Camp. Aye. Camp, aye. Member Tang. Aye. Tang, aye. Member Boothy. Aye. Boothy, aye. Member Holliber. Aye. Holliber, aye. Chair Leal. Aye. Leal, aye. Mr. Chair, there is no opposition. Thank you. Uh, the minutes are approved. Uh, next item, please. Agenda item number eight is announcements, comments, questions, and future agenda items. This is a discussion and possible action item. We'll be take, taking public comments as part of the discussion. I want to note that at this time, I'm only tracking the remaining meeting for calendar year 2023. If you wish, we can add several meetings uh, to the tracking for the beginning of calendar year 2024. Uh, thank you for that, and we really should. So why don't we proceed with uh, uh, that. Ideally, we'll, we'll, we'll pick into, if we can, into June. If not, maybe oh, wow. April. Okay. <laughs> Ambitious here. It's a long way. <laughs> uh, why don't we start here with um, January. I think our standard date is the second Tuesday of the month. That's right. That would be the ninth. Does that work for the committee and uh, Tuesday? Yes. Okay. All right. We'll track January so, 9th, 2024. Okay. We'll, we'll get to that in a second. Um, February 13th. February 13th. Does that work for most of the committee? Um, I believe March it is. March 12th? Yep. Does March 12th work? Yes. It works. Great. Let's keep going. And, uh, we'll do one more. One more. I know this. I'm not get too far. April 9th. April 9th. Well, can we try to do one more? <laughs> All right, that would be May 7th. Uh, 14th is the second Tuesday of May. Yes, sorry about that. You're right. Okay. It works. Thank you. Uh, uh, member Kent, sorry. Go ahead. I'll be out, right? Uh, Q1. So, so can you give us a date when you'll be out? Are you, will you be here in December? No. No December? Well, December, no, December 6th. Sounds like from December to April inclusive, you'll be out. Yeah. Okay. Um, unless we do a later meeting in April, but um, I don't. Yeah. Yeah. Well, we can address it as we yeah. get closer. Well, thank you for giving a heads up so that we are aware of that. Uh, okay. Uh, that covers dates for the next meetings. I believe there is, uh, if I remember correctly, there is a presentation for the commission. 
agenda items is that the committee or what do you see would like to add for the next meeting? So just to recap, I'm going to add an item about uh, consideration of return of the ratepayer dollars, uh, beginning of the draft annual report discussion, uh, and then the discussion, which we'll find up potentially on the December agenda itself, about findings one and two from audit number two. That's right. Yeah. Um, also, a reminder to uh, to the committee. Um, uh, actually, sorry, something I should mention. I forgot to mention before. So I reached out to the controller, reminding the controller's office that they haven't appointed their seat to ARBOC in many years. I have not heard back. Um, uh, also, uh, we do um, have a vacancy on the committee, and that's on mayoral appointment. So you may want to reach out to your network and folks you know and see if uh, there are individuals interested in, 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 in the role. That certainly is, now, is, uh, is, is a good time uh, to explore that. Um, and, and to that point, yeah. if there are folks who you have in your network who would be interested in seeking that appointment and they need any guidance, they can reach out to myself and to Victor Young, and we can connect them with the appropriate people. And also, uh, uh, can you please uh, come to the microphone? And also, just as information, the controller has announced his desire to resign as of February, March of next year. And so there's just ongoing turnover there that may be affecting their ability to, or their decision to appoint someone for that particular seat, but with Board of Supervisors seats, mayoral seats, that's 
still a place to pursue. Yeah. I should also just highlight that um, uh, in addition to your outreach, as has been the case for years, uh, our external affairs has reached out to all three bodies, uh, uh, Board of Supervisors, uh, Mayor's Office, and Controller's Office, reminding them of, of the vacancies and upcoming uh, vacancies. Thank you for that. I think maybe um, can, I don't know what the right <laughs> process is, but uh, maybe this is also something that the PUC staff can ask of the PUC Commission if they have any um, recommendations of people to point just to get the word out that we have these vacancies. Um, we have here on the list also a tracker of lists. We have essentially a, a list of topics for potential future agenda items. Does the committee um, have any thoughts? Do you want to include one of these items in the tracker at some point in the future? Uh, is item E different from our future audit item? Um, I think this is actually the, the, the initiative review and, and, and member paying or, or, or driving. We just delete it from the list? Sure. Okay. We'll I will strike E from the tracking. Thank you. This good? Something that, off the tracker. Yeah. Yeah. What about this 2000? <laughs> Is there anyone still here who <laughs> remembers that report? <laughs> well, this was a, a, a it was an interesting report um, that essentially looked at some of the, pro the initial projects of WICIT, the water program, and uh, essentially tried to capture lessons learned from the initial projects that were funded by uh, revenue bonds through that time. I remember a conversation that our boss had, and this was probably a couple of years ago when we thought, would it be worth for us to do another round of lessons learned now, uh, almost six, uh, 10 years later? Uh, but we never really had a conversation. We talked about potentially talking about it, but we never really talked about it. Who would provide that information? I was on the website. The lessons learned? Yeah, yeah. It's, it's a report. Oh, so just for us to discuss it? Yeah, so, so so the idea at the time was there was an effort to really capture lessons learned um, to really do them for, for the future. Um, and the idea was, well, should we do a similar exercise now 10 years later and look, hey, what have we learned over the past 10 years? Is there something that we can capture in the document that will be useful for the future? So there was a how this got onto the list, but we never really had that, that, that dialogue and that discussion. And for what it's worth, the digital version of the agenda that we distribute when you send out your invitations has a link to that report as well if you yeah. want to review it on your own. Now, I read it a, a while back, but it was a, it was a well thought out report where you think about, hey, we started building some big, big process. What did we learn? And there were some pretty interesting lessons learned. Yeah. I think many, many years ago, we had a prior SSIP um, program director, not the current one, the previous one came to our box um, to discuss uh, what his um, 
takeaway from this uh, 2015 report and what he can apply to the SSIP program. So maybe what does the committee feel like um, have the current SSIP director maybe share with us any status of applying the lessons learned from RISAP to this SSIP. From the plan that they had many years. I don't remember when that happened. Yeah. But maybe John can help us uh, dig out the previous. Well, maybe I suggest we read this report from 2015 and really see what are can be valuable, interesting, relevant to us at this yeah. stage, and then decide after we do that. And John, do you think you could also help us find out the previous slides presented by the SSIP? Do you have a date range that you think I, would be appropriate for me to search through? I think it's before COVID. <laughs> yeah, it definitely wasn't. Yeah. yeah, because since we started with this audit, a lot of our time as a committee has been just you know, tracking the audit and then following up on the findings of the audit and closing them out. So that's really been our best life for the past three years. I'll consult with Victor and see what we can find related to the origination of tracking this item. Um, I know that when I came on and was grabbing the baton from Victor, one of the first things that I did was bulk up the amount of information that was in the tracking section because it was a little bit spare. Um, that now was about a year ago. So I'll go back in time and figure out what information a lot of that was, that was based on and see if Victor can help me find out. You want me specifically just to find who would be a good responsive person to bring in to get involved? Um, I also want to take a look at the slides presented. The slides, okay. And um, the, um, what was the plan um, for the SSAP to utilize some of the lessons learned from I mean, I guess the question, are the lessons learned really for us, or are they for the next, you know, round of project managers? Because um, how much value do we have in terms of uh, <laughs> implying lessons learned to the capital finance um, project? Yeah, I, I read that report a long time ago. <laughs> so I think maybe what would be useful is, you know, um, in the more recent um, – you know, uh, SSIP was a program managers to maybe talk about, did they look at <laughs> this report at all before beginning on the more recent projects? And if so, how did that influence what they did? And since then, what ha else have they learned um, that could be applied going forward? Because I think just the five of us just talking about this report from 2015, I think it has fairly limited value. <laughs> That's what I was thinking about, yeah. the a status. Yeah. So uh, if I remember correctly, I think that 2015 uh, lessons learned meant for other program management, for example, mm -hmm. SSIP. Mm -hmm. So, and that's what that previous presentation made by SSIP. So, so they were talking about what, what lessons learned can be applied to SSIP um, and help SSIP. Um, so that's why I want to find that and, <laughs> and see if they can provide a status. So uh, 
I'll do that search um, and I'll see if what I can turn up. If I do turn up the slides, I'm, I'll deliver the slides via email to all of you. And I'll also link the slides in the digital version of the agenda right next to the report itself so that anybody else who's tracking along with this discussion, if they want to see it as well, then they can review it there. And then when this appears on your future agenda and we have a future agenda topics discussion, later on you have that information, you can decide whether or not you need to return to that as an agenda item. Thank you for that. I um, think that's a clean way to keep it. Yeah. And, and staying on, on, on potential agenda items for the future, is there any specific topic that any of the members would like to add to this list, something that is particular interest to um, to you? I mean, we have site visits, of course, that's something we'll have to discuss in the future, but is there anything that you think may not be urgent, but something that you would like to explore at some point? I think I've expressed before I'm interested in the environmental justice component, but I don't know if this is an existing staff report, and I'm not asking for work to be done. I'm curious on the topic. Yeah, that's been sitting there for a long time. You, you, yeah, I think it's been there since I joined ARPA. <laughs> it's been there three years plus. So we never got there. Like <laughs> it was there when. Remember, Than, you may know because you've been on the committee for a long time. I think there was. It was during a strategic planning session. Um, a formal ARBOC member. His first name was Tim. I forgot his last name. So Tim proposed to t suggested a staff report on, um, but. We, ARBOC, have never had any discussion around this topic, so his request just to get a. How, that's how it got on the list. Yes, through, through um, during a, like a strategic planning session. Got it. So it was not a response to a report shared at UC, it was kind of an idea. But Correct. Okay, very good. Well, it's the bottom of the hour. Um, anything else that we need to cover today? Are we ready for public comment? All right. Uh, we're ready for public comment. All right. Comment. Noting that we don't have anyone here in the Tuolumne room who has public comment on this discussion of agenda item number eight, we should note that we have one caller on the line who wants to provide public comment on this item. Please begin, and I'll start your time. Can you hear me now? Yes, please begin. Great. David Pilpel again. Um, so two points. You've uh, set some... Uh, meeting dates for next year. Um, I wanted to again encourage the uh, committee to consider meeting less uh, frequently, perhaps every other month or quarterly, and consider having slightly longer meetings. Um, I think the trade off may be uh, worth it. So, uh, again, on the, the question of schlepping uh, to meetings, um, you know, rather than having a, an hour and a half uh, meeting or so like today, if you had a two or two and a half hour uh, meeting every uh, two months or uh, quarterly, I think that would continue to get uh, the work done. So I just wanted you to think about that um, uh, going into next year. And then on the uh, issue of the lessons learned, that was certainly not uh, Katie Miller. I don't even think it was Daniel Wade. Uh, I think it was actually Julie Labonte, who at the time was the uh, WSIP um, program manager. Um, and I recall, um, maybe a little fuzzy, but I think the two major issues with the WSIP and lessons learned were about the Calaveras Dam replacement project and the regional uh, groundwater uh, storage project, and particularly involving risk 
and the, the issue of risk was about uh, design risk, construction management uh, risks, uh, delivery uh, risks, and the implications for uh, cost, um, schedule delays, uh, deliverability, et cetera. So uh, perhaps when uh, you discuss this, uh, you could uh, address whatever issues you, you deem appropriate, but including that question of risk and how do project managers and program managers uh, consider, evaluate, and monitor uh, risk um, for PUC uh, projects, particularly uh, big capital projects uh, that have unknown uh, site conditions and uh, a variety of difficulties, and how do you um, plan for that in terms of time, uh, schedule, cost overruns, um, uh, construction change orders, just a, a variety of topics. So that was my sense was um, that, that it was about risk and that there were lessons learned both from uh, the WSIP, but perhaps uh, more broadly on uh, Van Ness Avenue and uh, other uh, projects that PUC has been involved um, with and that there is a, a broader conversation about lessons learned uh, from capital projects in the city. Um, thanks again for listening. Take care. Thank you for sharing your comments. Do we have anyone else who's connected remotely who wishes to provide public comment on this agenda item number eight? Mr. Chair. Thank you. Public comment is now closed. And uh, I would like to thank everyone uh, for joining today's uh, meeting. And again, thank PUC for the presentation on capital finance and bond issues. And with that, the meeting is adjourned. Thank you.